Blaze Radio Network. And now, Reform This with Dr. Sudi Jasser. Breaching the fault lines of today. Welcome to Reform This with Dr. Zudi Jasser on the Blaze Radio Network. This is Dr. Zudi Jasser. Welcome back to another episode this week of Reform This on the Blaze Podcast Network. It is always a pleasure and an honor to be with all of you. Thank you for joining me. And if you're new, I hope you're looking for not only a cutting-edge discussion podcast, but a conversation about some of the most, I think, pertinent issues in the 21st century regarding reform within Islam, regarding promotion of liberty, countering theocracy in Muslim-majority communities across the planet. And uh, this week is uh, no different than any other. There's a number of issues I want to follow up with you on what happened and what's still happening at Hamline University, that a professor had the temerity to show the picture, a painting of the Prophet Muhammad, talk a little bit about anti-Semitism and Holocaust Remembrance Day, and a few other things. First, we were reminded this week of the importance, the the threat that continues to exist across the planet of anti-Semitism against the Jewish community. And every year, on January 27, Holocaust Remembrance Day reminds us of, of the evil that perpetrated against the Jewish people in the Holocaust by the Nazis. As we say together, as we say as a collective, never again. And we always, every year, not only just on the Holocaust Remembrance Day, but every day, pray for all the victims and their families. We should resolve, we continue to resolve, to bring the global community together in eradicating anti-Semitism from the earth. Never again cannot just be a slogan, cannot just be two words or something we say briefly and move on, but rather it should be something deep within our souls and our hearts to make sure that the Jewish community is never confronted with such a horror again. And the day of commemoration ensures that we will never forget, as we commemorated a few days ago. And at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, which I founded and am president of, we Muslims that lead that organization worry about the rising tide of political Islam and Islamism in the region across Muslim-majority countries and across the planet as its media continues to influence the spread of anti-Semitism. We're reminded about anti-Semitism with attacks of terror that, uh, regardless of who's being targeted, whether it's uh, Jewish or non-Jewish communities, it always seems, whether it's Charlie Hebdo in Paris or uh, any of the attacks, it seems that attacks against the Jewish community are either alongside, done at the same time, or remembered at the same time by these radical Islamists and anti-Semites. And this year, sadly, sadly, was no different. On January 27, there were seven dead, three wounded in East Jerusalem synagogue shooting attack in an act of terror. And the New York Times, even to its, its own horrific embarrassment, noted the attack without even using the word terror, without using the word Islamist, said a gunman shot, etc. 
Bottom line is, is a gunman fired, a radical terrorist fired at passersby and worshippers exiting East Jerusalem synagogue before being chased and shot dead by police. Hamas praised the attack, deadliest in years. Israeli Defense Force Chief bolsters forces at the time in the West Bank. Seven Israelis were killed, three wounded on that Friday evening last week in a shooting attack near a synagogue in East Jerusalem in Nevyakov. The first victims were identified, including teenagers, as well as a 60-year-old woman. The gunman, 21-year-old Kairi Al-Kam from East Jerusalem neighborhood of Ator, arrived at the synagogue just before 8.15 and waited outside of the building. According to police, he opened fire on pedestrians on the street as well as worshippers exiting the synagogue and then attempted to flee in his car. He drove towards the neighborhood of Beit Hanina, where the police found and followed him. He, he also was shooting at police and then shot dead as he ran on foot out of his vehicle. He knew the place, estimated that it appeared that he was a planned targeted attack and attacks by radical Islamists continued. After the attack, the United States President Joe Biden spoke with Netanyahu, Prime Minister Netanyahu, on the phone and offered all appropriate means of support to the government and people of Israel over the coming days. Defense Ministry stated that Defense Minister Yoav Gallant is receiving operational updates and U.S. Secretary of State Tony Blinken scheduled to visit Israel next week, next week, said in a statement that the United States condemns in the strongest terms the horrific terrorist attack that occurred outside the synagogue in Jerusalem today. So, obviously, the President of the United States responded, but, you know, you look back at the coverage, you look back at the attention that this should get, and it's getting less and less attention, isn't it? It's almost become a normalization of attacks against the Jewish community. And on days of remembrance of the Holocaust, on days as we talk about the Abraham Accords and so many of the countries that have now openly, theologically recognized Israel from the Emirates to Bahrain to Sudan and others, yet has there been shifts and attempts to really move towards normalization of ideology, recognizing the equality of Israel at the table of governments in the Arab world and Muslim-majority countries. I have yet to believe that. It's one thing for kleptocratic governments to recognize something that might be in their economic interest. And yes, it's a step forward for a number of reasons. It's better than the conditions were before the Abraham Accords. I've talked to you about that repeatedly here. But if you really want to change the fiber, the foundations of ideology that created the rubric that ultimately is the synergy of that red-green axis in around World War II was that synergy between the fascists of the Nazis and the Islamists that were to become Hamas decades later, but was the Mufti of Jerusalem and otherwise, these radical ideas, this hateful bigotry that exists and, and, and is such 
unconscionable percentages across the Muslim and Arab world is not going to come down until there's a concerted, continued drumbeat of attempts to target Islamist hate against Jews, to target the hadith, passages of the hadith that are obviously anti-Semitic and I believe fabricated and not the the actual words of the prophet but rather created and fabricated by anti-Semites and and uh, those that seek to control the Muslim community but that reform needs to happen that reform needs to be discussed and is part of what we're trying to do at this program and at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy so to our Jewish brothers and sisters never again we join you in prayer for all those who who died needlessly who suffered were tortured in the Holocaust and we will never forget and continue to work to uh, and we see the Emirates now are talking about having educational programs about the Holocaust so there are advances being made in the Arab world for whatever reason they might be hopefully it's true true reforms that begin to talk about the equality of Jews and Christians with Muslims and and other uh, um, modern ideologies of the Universal Declaration of uh, Human Rights versus Islamist supremacism in which other faith communities or no faith communities get their rights from Islam rather than from God or guaranteed equally rather than by the Islamist theocrats of Islamic councils. And this fight is happening inside the Muslim world also, as you see in Iran, with the revolution that is slowly continuing now for almost six months, that's continuing to grow. And we hope and pray that it will defeat one of the greatest sources of anti-Semitism on the planet, which is the Iranian regime. Now, I want to follow up with you about this situation at Hamline University. Now, I've talked to you about the professor that supposedly did the horrific crime of showing a classic painting that depicted the Prophet Muhammad. And then, ultimately, a firestorm was raised by the president of the Muslim Student Association at Hamline University, who said she was there and was offended, and then bolstered by the local council on American-Islamic relations, Jelani Hussein who talked about the fact that despite her trigger warning, despite her warning, the professor acted in bad faith. The professor should be punished. And that demonstrated clear Islamophobia because she wouldn't have had the warning if she didn't know it was going to be a problem. And yet, I'm not going to review the whole story with you. You can listen to last my last podcast to get some of the background and what we covered. But what I do want to talk to you about today now is in the ongoing fallout, the art of the Islamist spin is to be beholden for all of you. Because while care lit the fuse, while the Islamist Brotherhood at the Muslim Student Association lit the fuse of the landmine as the focus on Western Islamism 
publication from the Middle East Forum talks about, about the landmine that CARE stepped on, they now are somehow coming out as the victims. Publications that are part of the school's work, that are in that uh, uh, milieu of the students at Hamline University, are now actually positioning Muslim students coming back to class after the winter break as being frightful, being afraid of being targeted. That it is there. They are the ones that are at, at risk because the whole world reacted in an exaggerated hyperbolic way to what happened at Hamline University. We saw this on a journal at Sahan Journal that reviewed in a very long piece that talked about the professor and otherwise and said how the Muslim students that are coming back now see 80% of the professors in their school got together and want the dean fired. They want the dean at Hamline University replaced because of the inappropriate defense, not only non-defense, but attack on a professor that, that that dean should have been defending. So on the one hand, Jelani Hussein and CARE and the Muslim Student Association opened, rolled out the bomb and started to light the fuse and said that at the end of the fuse is global condemnation. And yes, there was even Muslims in Britain that said that the world of Muslim population would be egregiously offended by this. The Islamists that care and Muslim students initially said, whether you call it academic freedom or freedom of speech, we will never accept it as Muslims. Jelani Hussein of care and the Muslim student president that started this fuse highlighted the supposed impact that Hamline incident would have on Muslims everywhere as focus on Western Islamism quoted. They further said, between the sobs of crying of Wadtala, claiming that across the world, Muslims thousands of miles away would feel a certain pain over the religion being targeted, the Hamline student added that it breaks my heart that I have to stand here to tell people that something is Islamophobic and actually hurts all of us, not only me. And throughout the press conference with Hussein, emphasized the far-reaching consequences of the incidents, claiming to have heard from people globally that it's still going to impact more because the incident has become international. So you gotta love this. They built it up to say that there would be an international outcry, so they're protecting the school. Then when the outcry comes back and the rest of the Islamists, MPAC and otherwise, which I'll remind you of shortly, criticized Karen, said that this was a step too far, that, yeah, there's a lot of Islamophobia, but yeah, this isn't it. <laughs> I call that damage control in the PR world. But at the end of the day, they said that, oh, okay, now that the fallout was all against the school and this student was finally beginning to mature and realize that she had been a tool of the Islamists and she was an Islamist who was, was living from a position of victimization always, continued to carry that baton, didn't she? Which is not of contrition, not any acts of realizing that Islamism as an ideology is a failure, is, is 
evil and and supremacist that people should have free speech to criticize Islam and otherwise. No, she continued to lead with victimization and now after the backlash against the Islamists globally, she's still the victim. And let me show you how they say this. So first, across the planet, the main supporter of Hamline's university's decision outside appeared to be Roshan Salih, editor of the British Islamist publication Five Pillars. As soon as he learned about the incident, Salih commended the non-Muslim president of Hamline for taking into consideration the stipulations of the Sharia far more than any prominent Muslim commentators. Wow, he's saying you're more Muslim than the Muslims in America. He then asserted that Muslims can either choose to defend the honor of the Prophet or they can side with the Islamophobes, religion haters, and secular fundamentalists who were attacking the university. Oh, look, you see how they, they, they group the folks that are for free speech and modernization, but no, no, these are religion haters, secular fundamentalists, Islamophobes. And then he predicted a few days later that the university would cave under the weight of pressure due to the silence of genuine Islamic scholars. But then, only to see the Muslim Public Affairs Council expressed its support for the professor, and they had a panel in which the professor participated, as did Muqtadar Khan and a few other, note, Islamist apologists who are just a little more strategic in their apologetics and use an Islamism 4.0 instead of the 2.0 that CARE operates with. Because they said with MPAC and their panel that there was no evidence that Lopez Prater, the professor, had engaged in Islamophobic conduct, evidently distancing from the Minnesota chapter CARE, any past comments that do not align with this statement do not reflect our organization's stance, as CARE said. And American Muslim scholars, Islamist Imam Shadi al-Masri, expressed his opinion in saying that the administration was spineless, having zero character, and buckling to a woke agenda. Wow! Amazing! They're starting to use our terminology so, folks, you may say that, oh, this is a victory. Well, uh, you know, we have to be careful in that uh, while politics can make for strange bedfellows, which is what this is, we also have to make sure that it doesn't normalize organizations that you may recall. Look online at YouTube of my major debate. I had almost two hours with the head, Salam al-Mariyati of Muslim Public Affairs Council and this group, Muqtadar Khan has refused to publish a piece that I had about the need for reform against political Islam, even though they solicited the publication from me in the write-up. Look at the YouTube debate that I had against Al-Mariyadi while he says there's no need for reform, that political Islam doesn't exist, it's a fabrication that ultimately we just need to articulate better our public face talk about denial look at the video you'll see two hours of debate on some core questions that i think i answered rather comprehensively and he deferred and deflected and at times attacked me but what's typical of imams 
So, to the point of what's happening right now, as the Islamists sort of saw the fallout, you look then at the local publications as the students came back to school, Sahan Journal had a long piece on Hamline Muslim students returned to campus with a plea for understanding, written by Becky Dernbach on January 24, 2023. And this is the, it's a long 11-page piece. Muslim students expressed mixed emotions returning to campus after a national media frenzy that erupted when the university did not renew the contract of a professor who showed paintings of the Prophet Muhammad. Muslim students penned a letter criticizing the faculty response. The faculty voted to ask President Fainis Miller for her resignation. Hamline University classrooms opened for the spring semester a few days ago. It marked the first time students returned to campus after a national media firestorm that broke out when the university chose to renew the contract of an adjunct art history professor who had shown paintings of the Prophet Muhammad in class. Many Muslim students who had unexpectedly found them, unexpectedly found themselves at the center of the storm, felt mixed emotions, excited to be back, but overwhelmed by the new syllabi. Tired of the debate about academic versus religious freedom. Oh, now they're tired. Things took another turn. Now the faculty's demanding the resignation. And the piece goes on to say that ultimately our, our Muslim students now feeling they're to blame for the division that's come across where they interviewed students in this piece that said, can I trust my professors? Are they going to be haters? Are they going to be not defending free speech? It's sort of dividing and polarizing the university. And who's to blame? The folks that lit the fuse, the Muslim students. Well, listen, you know, first of all, for those of us who are anti-Islamists, there's a lot of truth to the fact that, yes, fighting Islamism should put them in their place and force them to reevaluate their ideas and defeat the ideas. No different than socialism and communism gets defeated when free markets show to be a more humane, more equality-based uh, uh, economic system. Political systems like theocracy, sharia versus Western secular liberal democracy, when they come up against free speech debates or other frontline debates, should be able to be shown to be failures. And when students trying to defend them against current systems in which they thrive, so what if they feel weaker? So what if they, their ideas are dying on the vine? That's the antiseptic of sunlight. That is the maturity. With any development and growth, there, there's no pain, no gain. Nobody's talking about inflammation of hate. They want to make this into victimization when, in fact, for the first time in a long time, we've had a number of these victories, by the way. I've talked to you last time about the Scottsdale professor that we broke the story here on this podcast and others and universities across the country. But this one was a little different because we saw finally, with a little prodding after a week or two, if not a month, that the liberal media also woke up with PEN and PEN and other free speech organizations waking up to defend the professor's rights because of how extraordinarily bizarre was the response of the university dean. But 
my final message to you on this is beware of the artfulness, the art of the Islamist spin machine. Because within our communities, within Muslim, Arab, ethnic communities that the Islamists dominate, they are still to this day not showing contrition on this on this subject even though the islamists 4.0 came out against the more medievally oriented islamist 2.0 they have not demonstrated contrition they said oh there was an overreaction and let me read to you from some of the quotes from this liberal report at the university and I'll get to that in a second, the student newspaper Oracle also had a similar type of mantra. As the professors, as they called for the resignation of their dean, over 80% of them also sent a coddling message to the students about standing with them. We want you to know that we are fully committed to listening to and working with you to keep refining and improving the educational experience for all students, even while our classrooms may sometimes be challenging, even uncomfortable spaces. Wow. Now, they also said, and I'm proud of them, we are concerned that an adjunct member of the faculty was labeled Islamophobic and her spring course was canceled without affording her due process, wrote a group of 44 professors at Hamline. We are equally concerned that an important segment of our student population reports that they've experienced subtle and overt discrimination on our campus. The letter says that despite the seeming silence on campus, Hamline faculty have been supporting students most affected by the situation and demanding answers. So again, the professors were being led to believe that the Muslim students were the victims here, that they were being targeted, discriminated against by the firestorm that came out. So yeah, you can blame the dean a bit, but you got to blame the Islamist movement globally. I gave you the story, the arc at the beginning of what happened, how they wanted a global response. And then when it came back to bite them in the rear, in the Sharia-compliant rear, they then claim that they are the victims and professors, please save us. And don't, I'm just here in college trying to, you know, trying to navigate my undergraduate degree. Woke, woke is us. Woe is us. And yet, even while the Islamists that are more modern and strategically oriented, or I should say dissimulative and deceptive, the student, the Muslim Student Association still in a recent email to faculty expressed disappointment that many professors had stood with Lopez Prater since the letter was unsigned because of concern of retaliations from faculty members or others who don't support our cause. It's not clear how many students endorse the letter and then they said here it is ladies and gentlemen while we have been getting threats and targets on our backs what hurts the most is knowing that faculty members don't care for us this is from the muslim students by the way additionally they are willing to go to the extent of going after and blaming president miller who has been supportive throughout this difficult time your silence shows us as students that Hamline is not a place for us and in your classrooms, we don't feel safe, welcome, or belong. Huh. Although Hamline is a small school, Uba said 
a Muslim student. Few professors had taken the time to get to know her, understand her religion. And then she lectures them. You have to know who your students are in the class, more than just the name and the pronouns and what their major is. Even asking little things like getting to know their religion, they will get you, give you what they value as a person. Then incidents like this wouldn't even take place because then you know that a Muslim student values their prophet. You understand that you should be showing a, you should not be showing a picture. And then the piece goes on for pages to talk about what things could have been done better and how fearful they are and balkanized they are. So, while any type of symptom that comes across can develop a firestorm of an acute infection or inflammation, if you will, to use medical analogies, the root cause is political Islam. The initial fuse that was lit was an attack on free speech, was an Islamist fuse. And not only did they not take responsibility 100%, which was the Islamist movement that caused this and originated the idea that is at risk here, but they're coming out of this in the art of the Islamist deception, smelling like a rose, still the victim, still saved by woke culture, still professors that on their one hand finally calling for the firing of the dean still protecting these spoiled operative students that actually don't believe in western society don't believe in liberal democracy and that the fact that Islam is an idea and it doesn't have rights no different than any other religion. They do want to protect Islam like no other religion is protected, like I talked about in my last podcast where we had the original story breaking. So ladies and gentlemen, our work is not done. Yes, the world, especially the United States, has learned a lot in the fallout of this and there will be more to learn, but oh please, the anti-Islamist movement within the Muslim community is drowning on the one hand where the mic has again been taken away by the more strategic Islamists that marginalize the crazy voices within their community that really reveal what they really are versus the more artful dissimulators that figure out that sometimes the battles and the the rope they climb is going to hang them sometimes versus the rest of us that not only point out the educational parts of defeating political Islam that exist in real time in these battles, but then try to build on that going on only to find that the Muslim students, the brotherhood types, somehow through woke culture become the victims again. Even after they terrorize the professors and the societies in which they are benefiting from education and and wealth and other aspects that they could not get from many of the countries that our families came from. It's just it's just, it's just amazing to me. So, our mission at the American Islamic Forum for Democracy is to defeat political Islam through free speech, through targeted reforms against their ideas, through building coalitions like our Muslim Reform Movement and our Clarity Coalition stands for Champions for Liberty Against Islamist Tyranny. And Islamist tyranny will rear its head 
through the actions of groups like the Muslim Student Association and its Brotherhood Legacy Ideas, the Muslim Public Affairs Council, the Council on America-Islamic Relations, and so many other groups that will utilize the red-green axis of the woke, victim-minded precepts in order to confuse you, to to make you not realize that their entire mission is to destroy the foundations of American society, of the West, which is based on free speech, based on the true equality of every individual, the fact that ideas don't have rights, human beings have rights, and that's why you find, even while the impacts of the world were saying, oh, this was not Islamophobia, they were still holding on tight to that concept of Islamophobia. Ladies and gentlemen, Islamophobia is a fabrication. There is no such an idea. People might disagree with Islam. That's not Islamophobia. That's a disagreement with an idea. If there is bigotry that exists, and it certainly does, against many different faith groups, if it exists against Muslims, it's bigotry. It's anti-Muslim bigotry. It's not Islamophobia. That term is used to suppress free speech, to suppress criticisms of Islam and the religion, and to make professors, media, politicians afraid of criticizing the mores of imams and other theologians that still media reached out to for this story. Oh, what do the Islamic scholars say? Well, I'm sorry, the Islamic scholars are 99.9% compromised because they have been fed from the petro-Islam of Saudi Arabia, of the petro-monarchs and the Islamist movements and military dictatorships of Pakistan and elsewhere, of the Taliban, Iran, on and on. So continue to read between the lines, ladies and gentlemen. Continue to understand that there's much, much more at play here than simply a professor that her contract wasn't renewed and the world got a little excited too much about a little painting. Both sides, whatever the sides are, are, are in some ways there was good education that happened, but in other ways missing the boat of what really is at play here. And I hope with a little conversation today you have learned a little bit more about the actual battlefronts and the battle against political Islam and the theocratic establishment within our communities, even when they claim to stand behind American values. This is Zudi Jasser on Reform This. Follow me on Twitter at Dr. Zudi Jasser, D-R-Z-U-H-D-I-J-A-S-S-E-R, and at Reform This Radio on Twitter. Thank you, and God bless. We'll see you soon. Stream and subscribe to more Blaze Media content at theblaze.com slash podcasts.